All right, wonderful. Um, yeah, God is good. He really is. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, that Jesus is a guarantee of a better covenant. Because the oath was made, a divine oath was taken between the Father and the Son. And because the oath was taken, the Bible says Jesus is the guarantee, the guarantee, the guarantee of a better covenant. And that is able to save completely or to the uppermost those who come to him. I'm encouraging you, never settle for less. Never settle for less. Unfortunately, we have a, a pretense to whatever that word means to box God in the way that we think. But God is bigger than what I think or who I am. You and I cannot do much without him, but he does everything. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. A guarantee, because he's able to save those completely or to the uttermost that come to him because of the oath that was taken. And the Bible says that oath cannot be changed because God swore by himself because there was no one greater to swear by. That's an amazing scripture there. Think about that. So the Bible says that God sent his son to us. And so everything Jesus came to bring, we need to receive. We don't earn it, we receive it. God sent his son to us. God so loved that he sent his son to us. That he might be with us and in us that we cultivate, that takes a cultivate, whatever, help me with the right word, thank you. Thank you, he's, he's the wordsmith, not me, okay. And we need to cultivate that. That is a lifestyle of cultivating that which you have received, that he can be with us and in us, that he might live through us, that he might live through us, and that's when we engage the world around us. And that's the simple process of Christianity. We receive because of his grace. We embrace what we've received and give it time to take root within us and to get established in us. And when a truth is established within you, nothing moves you from that truth. Not what people think or say, what the world says or says. No circumstance begins to move you. Because it's so grounded within you, you put your life on it. But that takes a time for that to be cultivated deep within you. And once that is cultivated, there's an establishment that takes place within your life and my life. And then the scripture that Michelle mentioned is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I'll put it another way. To be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is a sanctification. You set your life apart so he can live through you. To be in Christ, that makes you fit for heaven. But for Christ to be in you, that makes you fit for earth. To be in Christ changes your destination, but for Christ to be in you, that changes your destiny here on earth. One makes heaven your own, the other makes this world his workshop. And that's what he wants to do. 
And so in John chapter, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, particularly in the last chapters of John, in John 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, as he's beginning to talk on the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he gives them this incredible truth about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And they struggled with that. But he said, one who's coming is just like me. The Holy Spirit is Jesus, but we cannot see him. In that sense. And he said, but, let me tell you a truth. All that you see me doing, I only do because the Father lives in me. And because the Father lives in me and I live in the Father, everything you hear me say is not me saying it, it's the Father living in me. So even the miracles and the works and the teachings I do is not my teaching, it's, it's the Father who lives in me. And I live in the Father and the Father lives in me. And because I live in the Father and the Father lives in me, I will live in you and you will live in me. And because I live in you, you live in me, you will do what I've done because I'm only doing what the Father told me to do because he lives in me and I live in you, so you'll do what I've done because I only do what the Father does. That's Christianity. Hallelujah. If we can sort that out, you're doing well. Okay. <laughs> but that truly is Christianity. <laughs> he lives in us. He wants to work through us. So I'm going to talk a little bit about faith because I want to share something about receiving. We in the Western world struggle to receive. But we're going to know what we're receiving or whom we're receiving. So faith is a sixth sense or what I would call the sense of the unseen. These five senses, my sight, my smell, my taste, my hearing, and my, my whatever the other one is, I can't remember. This engages the world. This is how I see you and I engage the world. But faith is the sense of the unseen. That's what faith is. That's why everything comes by faith. And I'll read you a list, and I think I've read it here before, but I need to read it again. If I can find that list here, I know I, know I have it here somewhere. This is what the Bible says happens by faith. People are healed by faith. People are delivered by faith. People are forgiven by faith. People are encouraged by faith. People are made righteous by faith. People are justified by faith. People are sanctified by faith. People offered sacrifices because of their faith. People moved cities by faith. Children conceived by faith. Their future was blessed by faith. They persevered because of their faith. They worshiped because of their faith. They denied pleasure because of their faith. Faith pleased God. The waters were parted by faith. The walls fell by faith. The kingdoms were conquered by faith. Battles were won by faith. Justice was administrated by faith. Lions were quieted by faith. The dead were raised by faith. They walked through fire by faith. Miracles were performed by faith. So faith is important. And so we need to have some understanding, something of what faith is. Faith opens up the spirit realm unto me. It's a door that opens up the treasures of heaven into my life. That's what it does. Faith is a, super, a spiritual sense and it touches and reaches beyond the natural senses, which the natural senses cannot lay hold of. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. So Hebrews 11, we're not going to turn there, gives this wonderful description of all these people, what God did through faith. Credible. And they were able to stand, and they were able to stand in a face of immense opposition. They're able to go through hard times. They it suffered severe suffering and flogging and ridicule. And they were able to stand patiently persevering 
while they awaited the promise which God had promised them, all because of their faith. All because of their faith. So we need to understand a little bit about faith. So how does faith come? You all know the answer. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. It's the rhema. It's this word coming alive. Otherwise it's just ink on a piece of paper. So it's this coming alive and I've said before, and when it becomes alive, this is what happens. It goes, yum, 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 yum. And it goes inside, and it takes root inside, and it begins to shape me, and shape my attitudes and the way I think. Because it's a sharp, double-edged sword. That's why. And so faith helps us touch that which we cannot see or touch with the natural senses. So there's three stages in faith. There's God's word, there's hearing, then there's faith. God's word does not immediately produce faith, but only hearing. What is hearing? The biblical way of hearing to get faith is there's an aroused interest. There's a, wow, oh, I want to know more. I want to get more. Something begins to move inside you. A longing is developed inside you to receive what you've just heard. It awakens something inside you. That's what faith does. And then as that's interest and attention and the desire to receive and understand, then as we receive it with a humble and meek heart, James says that, we receive it. So hearing God's word begins to produce faith in us as we receive the word with meekness and gentleness and humility. So faith always attaches itself to what God has said or promised. Faith always attaches itself to what God has said or promised. Faith doesn't come so much by praying for it, but by the word and listening. Faith takes us beyond the visible to the invisible, and it opens up the treasures of the invisible realm to us. Hallelujah. And they are limitless. God is limitless in that sense. Please never undermine yourself for lack of faith. Because faith is God coming to you. He initiates it. He starts the process. He speaks. He reveals. He shows Something the eyes of your heart are opened. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, would be opened up. The eyes of your heart would be opened up. You get a spirit of wisdom and revelation because something inside you opens up to receive what he's saying. And when it opens up, it's like a camera. When you click it, the shutter opens and then the light floods the, the image and it impregnates it into the camera or on your cell phone or whatever you want to call it. And then the shutter closes. So Paul is saying, I pray the eyes of your heart would be opened up and the image of who he is and his truth would be in putting you. And then it would close and you got it. That's what he's praying in Ephesians chapter 1. You would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Amen. So he initiates it. 
I don't initiate it. He initiates it. It's got to come from him. He reveals. He shows. He talks. And then he waits for our response. He waits for our response. And he waits patiently for our response. And when we respond to what we received, and sometimes there's a time gap because we need to get it inside of us, then God responds. Then something begins to happen. That's how faith works. Hallelujah. So it's never about you trying to do hard or me trying to do hard or whatever the case is. So when I was praying for this evening, I felt God give me the scripture. You don't have to turn there because otherwise you... It's out of John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, which says this. To those who received him and believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of a natural decision, nor of a man's decision, but born of God. But it starts to those who received him and believed in him. Those who received him. John chapter 20, 20, Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 8 says, and you will receive power. Romans said, receive righteousness. John chapter 3, verse 27 says, you can only give what you've received. Hello? So the key is receiving. And I've got great news for you. God is the most gracious giver that we've ever known. The most gracious giver. He doesn't give and take away. That's why the callings and the giftings are without repentance. That basically means when God calls you and gives you a calling and puts a gift in your life or on your life, he doesn't take it away when we don't behave. It's there. It just doesn't work the way it means to work because we're getting in the way of it. And so he begins to shape my character so the gifting he's put on me or the calling he's put on you or I can begin to work through me to his glory and honor. Hello. Amen. We've got to receive, folk. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, I can't remember exactly where it is, he says, to unto us a child is born, but a son is given. A child is born, but a son is given. So God gave his son to us, but the Bible says Jesus gave of himself to us. There's six times that Jesus said, the Bible says Jesus gave. He willingly gave. He willingly gave himself. And I'm going to mention them quickly. I can find those notes. Yeah, they are. 1 Timothy 2 says he gave himself as a ransom, as a ransom for all of us. In other words, there was a price. Sorry, I'm going down the steps. There was a price for this man. To redeem this man, there was a price that had to be paid. And he couldn't pay the price. Nor could his parents. Nor could his wife. Only Jesus could pay the price because it demanded his life. So he became a ransom. He willingly gave himself as a ransom. 
Galatians 1, 3, 4 says, Jesus gave himself for, his, for our sins that we might be delivered from this present evil age. He gave himself for that, people. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 25, that he gave himself that we might be sanctified and cleansed. This is the Son of God who gave himself. Sanctified, it seems like a big word. It's very simple. He gave himself to set you apart for his use. That's all that word means. But in order to set you apart, he needs to clean you. So this bottle has been set apart to put water in it. You were set apart to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again Christian. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, he gave himself because he loved us. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, he gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling aroma to fulfill all the Old Testament sacrifices. And then Titus 2.11 says this, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, which has to do with sin, and to purify for himself a people that is very own, eager to do what is good. He gave himself. You see, because sin pollutes us. Sin mars us. Sin bends us within. That's what it does. When Adam disobeyed, the image he was created in got bent out of shape. The image he was created in God. And so one of the great pictures for us to understand what it means to be redeemed, Christ redeemed us from all wickedness and sin, there's a picture in the Bible that I feel gives a good picture of what sin does, and it's of Samson. Samson was made for fellowship with God. Samson was made to be a servant of the living God and a leader for God. God gave him all that he needed to do this. But Samson had a free will, and he decided and he made a choice to mix with some wrong people. And he married a Philistine. And because of that choice, she influenced him. And Judges 16, 21 says, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grind in the prison. And this gives us a picture of what sin does. Sin binds us, just like the bound Samson. It's like a shackle that's put around us. It's binding by our appetite, of our appetites, by our practices. It's like a bondage comes upon us. That's what sin does. The Bible says they burnt out his eyes. Sin blinds us. The Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see. I couldn't see. I could see, but I couldn't see. You know what I mean? And I told you part of my story. Like things opened up to me. That I had. They were always there, but I couldn't see them. I was blinded. And then the Bible says he was grinding seed for oil. He was walking around that grindstone. And that's what sin does. It grinds us. So we are bound, blindedly grinding. That's what sin does. But the Bible says God came to redeem us. 
Redeem us from that. So what does it mean to be redeemed? This is what it means to be redeemed. There's four words that describe, and I'm not going to pronounce the Greek. The first one is, it means to buy in a marketplace as though buying a slave out of a marketplace. It means, what would it cost me to buy that person? How can I become that person's owner? Because he's owned by somebody else. We were owned by the devil. We were a slave to him. So what would it cost? So it has to be equal value. So Jesus said, I will give my life so that life can be redeemed. That's the first part of redemption. The second part is, the second part of that is, it's not only to buy that person, but it's to take that person out of the marketplace and bring them to a place of freedom, not to leave them where they were found. So therefore, it's to bring us out of our habits, out of our old life, never intending to go back to it. The third part of redeem means to loose. Jesus gave himself to loose us from all iniquity and bondage, to loose us from the habits that had marked our life, to loose us permanently from those things. That's what redeemed means. And the last part of redeems means it means to be permanently set free so that God, those who God set free, can never, never, never go back to bondage. They are permanently set free. All the powers of hell cannot force them back. The only way they can go back is if they make a choice themselves to go back. Nobody else can make that choice for them. And Jesus said, I redeemed you. I paid the price for you. I redeemed you. You're free. You're free. You're free. You're free. That's why we need faith to appropriate that which Jesus said, I've done for you, so we can walk in it. So, how do we set ourselves up to receive? Now, if you've got a Bible, go to Mark chapter 10, then we'll come to an end. Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible. You're all so quiet. Thank you. You're all so quiet. Mark chapter 10. One of my favorite stories. I might have even said it here before, but I know there's a number of new people in this church. I want you to go to verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. This story, this incident, if I walk down here, can you still see me? Hallelujah. Praise the living Lord. Otherwise, I feel like I'm in a throne up there, and I don't like being up there. Sorry. This incident happened two and a half years into the ministry of Jesus when he walked on earth. So it was towards the end of his ministry. He was actually, if you read the incident, he was on his way to Jerusalem to die. That's where he was going. And then it says, when they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving a city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. So this man knew he was blind. This man, nobody had to tell him what his issue was. He knew. And one of the keys to begin to receive you got to know you need help. Because then it humbles your heart and says, God, I need you. I need you. 
I need you. I need you. It's an acknowledgement. He was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So this man has been sitting begging there, and he had been sitting there for a long time, his whole life. But in the last two and a half years he's been sitting there, he heard about a man called Jesus Christ. He had heard the stories beginning to filter back to him of how 5,000 people were fed with the little bit of fish and loaves. He heard the story about Jesus walking on water. Heard the story about Jesus that healed other blind people. He even heard the story how Lazarus was raised from the dead. All these stories were filtering back to him because the crowds followed Jesus wherever they went and they were always talking about it. So for two and a half years, he sat there hearing these stories and meditating on them and thinking about 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 them. So what do you think begin to arise up inside him? Faith. If only I can meet this man, Jesus. If only I can meet this man, Jesus. If only I can meet this man, Jesus. Now Jesus comes there and it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because I picture it this way. He's sitting there, he's blind, so he can't see what's going on. But there's a commotion going by. These people. So he must have called somebody or asked somebody, what's happening? And somebody says to him, Jesus is walking past. Because <laughs> he couldn't see And he started to shout. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. You see, when an expectation rises up inside you, and that is hope, because faith is sure of what we hope for. Hope is a divine expectation of something, but it's not faith yet. Faith, hope, is the atmosphere, the groundwork in which faith begins to spring forth. Hope protects your mind. Faith is in the heart. So now he's thinking about it in his mind. And so there's an expectation beginning to well up inside him. Who's this? It's Jesus walked past, saying, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people say, be quiet, be quiet. Soon as you begin to reach out for something of the Lord, opposition will come. Sometimes from in your own life, sometimes even from within your own family. And they don't mean it. You have to understand that, people. Don't back down. Be patient with people. Be loving with people. But don't back down with what's happening inside you. Don't back down. We were sitting with the leaders last night, and uh, I'll carry on. And we were telling them just a little bit of our background and testimony. And our kids, when they were young, and some of you heard the story, they had a number of prophetic promises by people that we trusted about what God was going to do in their life. And then a prophetic lady came into the church we were in, and our kids were about down in Eldred's church. 
five or six, somewhere around about there. And she called Michelle and I forth, and she said she prophesied over us like two pages. And right in the middle, and she said, God's going to shake the two of you to your very roots. That's what she said. She said, but then, when you've come through that, this and this and this will happen. Fast forward 10 years. And you're trying to reach people that didn't know the Lord. My kids got drawn in by them. So they started to do what they were doing. And they got into the drug scene. And um, I'm leading a church. I'm traveling around from different countries. And my kids are not in a good place. And it's heartbreaking. Because everywhere you go, people are sharing wonderful testimonies how God is using their kids. And they turn to you and how's your kids? Well, they're actually addicts. It's rough. But God had promised us. God had promised us. God had promised us. And we hung on to that promise. And we fought with that promise. And we put some boundaries in as best as we lovingly we put in. And through a process of events, God got hold of my kids. First my daughter and then my son. We actually moved from South Africa to come to America to plant a church. And my kids were still not in a good place. But we had to be obedient to the call of God. And we were in America four months. And my son had phoned me from time to time. And one day he phoned me up and he said, Dad, where's that scripture in the Bible? And I knew God had got hold of him. I knew it. God had got hold of him. Today is an incredible preacher. And he leads the church. He started to lead a church at 33. I got saved at 33. But he understands young people. And he understands young people. They're going through a struggle. Has incredible compassion for them. God had promised. And we fought for that promise. We had to persevere. I found people that I was accountable and said, do we need to step out of ministry? And they said, no, carry on. And so we did. So I'm encouraging you, don't step back when the opposition comes. Don't step back. That's what the devil will want you to do because he knows what happens by faith. And so he'll want you to step back from an attitude of faith. And then I find in my own life, when I've stepped back for a season, I find like I've got to get back to the place that I was a year or two years before. Hello? Mm -hmm. Am I a little too real? Anyway. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. I love that. He shouted all the more. And so Michelle and I, through our tears, many nights in tears, Many nights in tears. And I don't know if I've told the story. I used to go, we had a bull in a church where we met and it wasn't far from our house. And I used to go there early in the morning and I used to put the speakers on the sound on. And I used to lie on the floor. And I used to put certain songs on repeat. And I would lay there for four or five hours. And just cry out to God, cry out to God. And God did a work inside you. 
Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. That seems like a silly question, because the man was blind. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. Yeah, this man calling, opposition comes, he carries on calling. But something had stood up in him for two and a half years. Something had stood up in him and he wouldn't let it go. And that's what happens when you hear something of God. It begins to stir up in you. Press in, press in. Because the fulfillment of it's coming. It really is coming, I'm telling you. And as opposition came, he cried even louder, even louder. And then Jesus called him. It's interesting. Many times Jesus went to people, he called this man. And the Bible said he had a cloak on. That's my wife, so I wonder where my wife's. Thank you. The Bible said he had a cloak on. And in those days, as far as I understand, when you wanted to become, because the area he was begging for was a very wealthy area. And that cloak was a white cloak which represented his permission to go and beg in that area. And the Bible said he took his cloak off and he threw it aside. When the Lord responds to your crying out, he's going to ask you to let go of something. To take hold of what he has. That's what he's going to do. He's going to ask you to lay something down. Not necessarily something bad. Just could be a small thing. Just lay it aside. Let me give you what I have. That cloak represented his meal ticket. That cloak represented his livelihood. He dropped that because of what was stirring inside of him to meet Jesus. And then Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? Now my question to you, and my question to myself that I've asked many times, you can ask my wife is, if Jesus walked in this room right now, he walked in that door, I mean he is here in the form of the Holy Spirit, and he came to Andy and he said to Andy, what do you want me to do for you? Goes to Camilla, what do you want me to do for you? Goes to Katie, what do you want me to do for you? Now I'm using these people. I'm trusting and I believe they won't say, hang on, let me think about it. Why don't you go and ask Michelle and then come back to me? Why? Because if there's nothing bubbling inside of you, you have no expectation of what he wants to give you. You're putting your faith out for nothing. I trust there's something in your heart. God, this is what I'd like you to do for me. Mine has been, and I'll tell you mine because it'll be, that before he takes me home, I'll see a revival. Because the revival changes everything. I want to see a revival. I want to be in a revival. Whatever that looks like. That's been my cry for 25 years. 
And when you take this man's blind Bartimaeus, this positions you to receive. This positions you to receive all why Jesus came and gave himself to redeem you, set you free, sanctify you, set you apart, forgive you, sanctify you. Because that's what he gave himself for. And then you put your faith out and God, I want to walk in the fullness of all that. I want to walk in the fullness of all that. That's how we position ourselves to receive. Because we have to receive to give. We have to receive to assimilate within so it can change us, so he can work through us. But it's always receiving first. Always receiving first. So if you're sitting here tonight and you've said, God, I'm trusting you for healing in my life. And I've been asking you for healing in my life. And I don't only mean physical healing. I mean emotional healing or healing from some addiction. It can be gambling. It can be whatever. Addiction is very powerful. It holds you. Or you're trusting God and you're saying, God, this issue that keeps raising itself inside me, I'm trusting you to set me from it. I want to pray for you. Mm-hmm. I want to pray for you. And maybe it's just, God, I want more of you. I'm tired of same old, same old, same old, same old. Maybe you just want more of God. That's wonderful. We want to pray for you. We want to stand with you as you stand in faith. And God might begin a process tonight to do that. And it will continue as you leave here and in tomorrow. Or he might do the whole thing tonight. He's God. I don't know what he will do. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come forward. It's that simple. That you're going to put your faith out and say, God, if you came and asked me, what can I do for you? This is what I'm desiring. You don't have to tell me. I'm not asking you to tell me. I want you to tell him. Bless you, man. Why don't you come stand here? Sorry, that light blinded me. I can't see you. There's <laughs> only one person in all these people that are reaching out to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. You must come up because God stirred your heart, not because I'm trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want you to be able to. And maybe you're sitting there. Please come up. Please, please, please. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I haven't got a mask on, so if, you, if, if, you, if I come and pray for you and you say, can you just, I don't mind, I'm not going to be offended. I fully understand. But it's just simpler for me if I don't have a mask. All right, as you stand here, I just want you to close your eyes. Because that's spiritual, it's just because it helps you focus. Then I just want you to talk to him. Maybe you need to put right with him. Thank you. Thank you. Just speak to him. Just speak to him. Father, I thank you for your people. 
Thank you. Lord, I cannot give these people anything, but you can give them everything. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, even now, even now, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you. Just come and touch.